So there's two philosophies, you know, how you approach fall with the clocks moving back. One, you go to bed on time and get an extra hour of sleep. The other one is you stay up an hour later and sort of enjoy that. I'm just curious where you fall. At, at our house, we're sort of split. I'm going to go to bed at normal time, get the extra hour of sleep. My wife is, we get to stay up an hour late. So she stays up and I go to bed. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're all here this morning. And, uh, I uh, just want to, uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about Halloween for this second. Is that okay? I, I'm not going to preach on Halloween. just want to share a story of Halloween. This last um, Tuesday was Halloween, and I know that that a lot of Christians respond differently to Halloween. Uh, some people, uh, some Christians are adamantly opposed to it. Uh, some Christians just remain silent. Some Christians um, allow their children to get dressed up or their grandchildren to get dressed up and they participate in all the trick-or-treating. And I also know that within the culture, the greater culture, a lot of people um, approach Halloween um, very differently. They see it as a time for mischief. And unfortunately, many people in our culture also see Halloween as a time of, of uh, um, just getting involved in the occultic practices. And uh, I know there's a lot of responses. Again, this is not a message on Halloween. But uh, with Halloween this past week, I uh, went back to my childhood and was thinking of some things in my childhood. That is coupled with the sermon that I prepared this morning. My memory sort of went along with it. But I got to thinking about it. when we were kids, we were of that group that went out trick-or-treating as, uh, as young kids. And uh, we would go through our neighborhoods and do the little thing. And we would come home with a bag of candy, me and my three siblings. And uh, me and two of my siblings would do the same thing. We would immediately start gobbling down all of that candy that we would get. Um, when, when I was younger, it was still the days that you would get popcorn balls and cookies, and we didn't matter what it was, we would immediately start eating that, and we would have a sugar high for about a week until the candy was all gone. That's the way three of us were. Now, I had a sister um, who was quite different. She would come home with the same size bag, but she treated that kind of like a pirate's treasure. She would hide it in her room, and she would daily take just one piece, or just a half a piece, whatever it might be. She would sort of dull it out, and where we would be candyless by this time in November, her little candy stash would not only last through Thanksgiving and Christmas, but sometimes through January and into February, she was still eating off her little treasure chest of of, uh, of, of candy. Like I said, her her way of treating that candy, I couldn't help but think of that when I was thinking of this week's sermon. I'm going to actually be uh, preaching from Matthew, the sixth chapter, starting in verse 19. The very first words are, do not store up yourself a treasure. It immediately made me think of my sister. <laughs> 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 a little stash of candy. <laughs> so go ahead and turn to Matthew, the, the uh, sixth chapter, starting in verse 19. And uh, once you're there, I'll go ahead and read it. Uh, I'm not going to read a whole bunch of it, but I'm going to talk about quite a bit of the uh, sixth chapter as we go through this this morning. Sixth chapter um, of Matthew, starting in verse 19. Do not store for yourself 
treasures on earth or moth and vermin is what my newer NIV says, or moth and rust destroyed, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy uh, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I've been thinking a lot about this uh, passage of scripture for a couple different reasons. And so this morning I want to let you know I'm preaching to me. Okay? Um, and if it's relevant to you, I hope it is. But if it's relevant to you, great. But I'm preaching to me. I think it will be relevant to you. Um, the reason I'm, uh, it's me is I'm, I'm going through a time of life, as maybe some of you remember it. I'm getting close to that retirement age, and I'm getting bombarded with what I need to have when I get into retirement. And I don't have it, you know, if you look at what everybody says. And suddenly I, it's, there's, there's this real temptation to begin to, oh, I need to store up. And I've, I've had, assumed some other responsibilities in life that are just, it's, it's really challenging uh, where I'm coming from from a Christian. So whether you're somebody who is like me getting close to that age or you're somebody who's on a, a fixed income or somebody who's younger and uh, just dealing with, with funds on a daily basis and looking to the future, I think this passage of scripture is going to be relevant to all of us. But like I said, I'm preaching to me. And what I did is I went through and I asked myself some questions as I was going through this passage of scripture. Hopefully there's maybe some of the same questions that you have as you listen to this passage of scripture or read along with me. And, and hopefully as I'm sharing, our questions are going to somewhat overlap. And in the end, what I want to do is sort of come up with a, a principle for us to live by that will put us in compliance with, with Jesus' teaching. So, my questions, I had um, a, a whole slew of them, but three primary ones. The first question that I that I had to ask myself was, what exactly was Jesus teaching his audience going back to that day? I mean, we read it and we interpret it from a 21st century Western Nebraska culture, and, and we look at it and say, okay, this is what it means. But I wanted to jump back to the day that Jesus spoke this uh, part of the message, part of this part of the Son of the Mount. What did, it, what did he mean, or what did his original audience hear? And it might be different. Matter of fact, I think it will be a little bit different. Um, and so what he's talking about here is that uh, um, he's talking about storing up treasure. And, and that's basically what it comes down to. And what he realized, Jesus realized, is that his audience, by merely living in this world, would be dealing with money and things of value. And so he's going to give them instructions on how to handle it. Uh, um, his, his audience, again, by li just living in this world, would be trying to store up some of that treasure just by being here. You know that. We know that. That's just a natural thing. We're going to end up trying to store up some of that treasure. Um, putting it, like I said, another way, they're dealing with money. And we live in a culture where it takes money, right? They were living in a culture where it takes money. And how they handled that money would determine where they were storing up treasures. And he's going to give a couple options as to where they can store up treasure. And at first he talks about storing up treasure on, on earth. And, and that one is somewhat self-explanatory. 
When he's talking about the treasure, storing up treasure, and he's talking about money or assets. Real money are things that can be converted to money that they have to sell it. Things that are of value. Um, remember, this is in a, in a pre-banking environment. So you had money and then you had other things that were worth money. It was before stocks and bonds, okay? But you had to have, if you had money, are things that you could sort of buy that you could later sell that would still be worth most of their value. It could be clothing or cloth. It could be uh, parchment or things that they wrote on. It could be jewelry. It could be grain. It could be a lot of different things, either, either gold and silver. But there was one problem with those treasures in a pre-banking environment. I realize now when you take it to the bank, there's a guarantee on the money. It's a little bit different. In Jesus' culture, there was a problem with it, though. If, if it was something like cloth or something like grain, um, it can rot. Bugs can get into it. If it's something like cash or something, silver or gold, somebody can break in and steal. Uh, just out of curiosity, how many had a grandmother who hid things in her mattress? Yeah. <laughs> At least we hear the jokes about that. You put your treasure in the mattress, right? So notice. If when the thief breaks in to steal it, at least they're going to wake you up. You make sure it's in the mattress you're sleeping on, right? <laughs> and so um, we just do things with our treasure. And so he brings up the problem with it. For those who were storing up a, a, a warehouse or a treasure on earth, they were working so very hard to hoard up this treasure to take care of the expenses that they had in life. Uh, um, and so not only cash, but things that would easily convert into it. But there was this risk of loss. For some of us, we had to spend that treasure eventually, even when we save it up. Um, he's talking to that audience, you're going to spend it, he's going to say. Uh, somebody else might come in and take it from you, or sometimes it's just the elements that are going to take it from you. Uh, and if it's not one of those things, you can't take it with you. And so this whole treasure on um, Earth sort of thing is a losing proposition in some ways. This is what his audience is hearing. But yet, that's where his audience would have been at. They would have been storing up treasure on earth. And so what Jesus does is he presents sort of an abnormal way of doing it, God's way of doing it. And he says, store for yourself, brother, treasure, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, treasure in heaven. Now, um, since we can't take material possessions with us, what did Jesus mean by store up for yourself treasure in heaven? I think for us it's a little bit confusing. As a matter of fact, when I was reading through the commentaries, a lot of them are all over the place. Uh, they talk about the different things that we can be doing. They talk about the uh, uh, different actions we can be doing in the church. It talks about a lot of different things. Uh, but what did Jesus mean by, or what did Jesus' audience understand him to be saying? And um, for Jesus' audience, this was a very, very simple phrase to understand, but it's an idiom that Jesus used, and that idiom has sort of lost its sense, and so we reading our English Bibles, we don't grasp it. But for Jesus, when he said to share up uh, or store up your treasure in heaven, what he was actually saying is that you need to share with those who are in need. That's the meaning of treasure up treasure in heaven, or store up your treasure in heaven. 
Uh, we see this. Let me just uh, share a couple of times that Jesus uses this phrase. In Matthew, the 19th chapter, in the 21st verse, now Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler, and the man wants to know what he, what he must do to be saved, and you know the story. Jesus gives him some, uh, or he presents some options, all those things I've done. And so finally Jesus looks at this man, this rich young ruler, and he says, well, here's what you need to do. Sell your possessions and give the proceeds from the sale to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Give it away, and then you're going to have treasure in heaven. Along those same lines in, in the 12th chapter of, of, of Luke, in the 32nd chapter, or 32nd verse through the 34th, he says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for the Father has um, been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes in, uh, near nor uh, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Paul, who was a Jew, who would have understood this idiom when he was writing to Timothy, he uses this, this uh, idiom again. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, 18 through um, um, 19. So if you want to jump there, I'm going to come back to our Matthew verse, so don't lose it. But in uh, 1 Timothy 6, um, I actually want to start about verse 17. Um, some of the final instructions he's going to give to Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, uh, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So that they, um, pardon me, so that they may take hold of the life that truly is life. And so through many of the New Testament um, pictures, what we see is this idea of this idea of laying up treasure, taking that worldly wealth and sharing it with others is a way that they're going to have treasure in heaven. And in this case, what he's actually talking about is reward. Reward in heaven. And this fits very well with what the Old Testament teaches. I want to jump back to Proverbs real quick. I want to jump to Proverbs 19.17. All the way back to Proverbs. Uh, uh, Seven years ago, are going there, so I'll take just a second before I read it. And this uh, reads a little bit differently in different translations. Uh, Proverbs 19.17. And what he says is... Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. What? And he will reward them for what they have done. And so what Jesus is teaching on this particular day to his audience is that very idea of storing up yourself a, a storehouse in heaven or a treasure in heaven is this idea of being generous. Uh, don't be greedy. Don't be greedy. Uh, what we need to do is have our actions and our resources uh, sort of not just be self-focused, but focusing on other people as well, people who are in need. And when we do that, we are being obedient. We're storing up a treasure in heaven. 
As a matter of fact, what he does is he goes on to sort of drive this point home. Turn back to Matthew, the uh, sixth chapter again. And I want to quickly read through the next couple of verses. After, he, after Jesus um, shared the part that we've already read, he goes on in verse 22. He says, the eye of the lamp, um, pardon me, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye are healthy, your whole body is full of light. Now we look at that and say, what in the world did Jesus mean? Right? But again, it's a Jewish idiom. Now some of your translations read a little bit different. It might be if your, if your eye is good or singular or sincere, words like this. But that going back to what Jesus said is actually an idiom. And that idiom basically is, says, um, if you are generous. In other words, a good eye is one that can see the needs of others and responds. And then he counters that with talking about the bad eye or the unhealthy eye in verse 23. He says, but if your eyes are unhealthy, and again, the unhealthy eye or bad eye depends on your translation. There's a few other words that are used to describe that eye. That would have been an idiom used in culture to mean stingy got a bad eye, you're a stingy person. In other words, you can't see what's going on in the world around you and the needs of the people that they have around there. You're just a stingy person is, is basically what he's going on to say. And so, as I'm reading through this, it raises up another question. If I'm going to be taking these resources and I need to be generous and I need to be giving them to those who are in need, what about me? And so Jesus continues on, and we're not going to read through it all. But just real quick, for right now, I just want to look to the very first verse in the next section. He says, to answer the question, what about me? Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. And he goes on in a little bit more detail as that continues. So if you remember, my primary first question was this, what was Jesus teaching his audience on that day? What were they hearing him say? And the short answer is this. Uh, there really is um, one thing that we're treasuring. And um, that's going to be just, well, the things that can be converted into wealth. We're going to be in the process of handling those things. And um, there are two ways that we can handle them. One is we're going to be storing them up. Storing them up for self-use. And the other option is we're going to be storing it up and sharing what we have then with those people who are in need. And so Jesus concluded this section. He says, where your treasure is, here your heart is also. If your treasure is on earth, then your reward is temporal. It's, it's fleeting. And your heart is focused all on earthly rewards, which we know are temporal and fleeting. Um, if our treasure is in heaven, on the other hand, our reward is permanent. Our heart is on heavenly things, and in this specific case, it's on being generous with those in need. Rather than hoarding, we share. That's what they heard, okay? So, my next question, I'm thinking about this, okay? Is that lesson still relevant for us today? 
I mean, their situation in life was so different than ours. I stop and I, I think about it. Not that I'm looking for an out, but let's get real. Their situation was quite different than ours. Uh, I don't know about you, but each month I've got bills. Does, does anybody here not have bills? <laughs> I mean, I've got bills, and it seems like I'm writing checks, and I don't have to write checks for all my bills now. Instead, I just do bill pay. And if I'm not doing bill pay, I'm doing auto pay, or I'm doing something else. It seems like I, I, I get a paycheck, and, and it just goes and goes and goes, and it goes quickly. Maybe you can relate. Um, and, and I think about the culture in which Jesus was was uh, writing to. I mean, they didn't have all the expenses I have. I mean, tithe and taxes would have been a couple of their expenses. And then food, clothing, and shelter. That's maybe oversimplifying, but you get the point. Their life was much simpler than our life. So doesn't the complexity sort of make this passage sort of irrelevant for us? I mean, stop and think just for a moment about the expenses we have that Jesus' audience didn't have. Insurance. Now, I know people could say that, um, you know, if you've heard the expression, if you can't afford to lose it, insure it. Well, people could argue and say, well, you don't need that many things. But one of the biggest expenses we have is life insurance, and it keeps on getting bigger and bigger and bigger, at least mine does. It keeps on consuming more and more of my... Of, of our family income, not only uh, my life insurance, but I have auto insurance and I have home insurance, and there's there's then life insurance. We're going to have that, and disability insurance, and insurance for this, and insurance for that, and insurance consumes a large part of our Jewish Jesus audience didn't have insurance. I, I think of retirement, um, and. Uh, unless you're with a job that has a nice pension, which those jobs are becoming fewer and fewer, you've got to save. And even with a, a pension, a lot of those pensions aren't big enough. And so you need to save. We're told that. You need to save. Jesus' audience didn't have to deal with that. Those who were lucky enough to live till they got older, guess what they did? Moved in with their children. <laughs> a little bit different situation than what we're at today. I don't need cash, I need sons <laughs> in retirement. So it, it is different. I, I think of the home costs. Uh, Jesus' audience never could have fathomed that you're going to be paying for a home for 30 years. Wow. And, you know, I've watched prices since we've come back off the mission field. It seems like the prices of homes have gone up and up and up and up and up. It's just less than what you can afford. <laughs> or maybe just more than what you can afford. And you sign up for a 30-year mortgage. His audience didn't have that. I think of our uh, of the repair costs and utility costs. His audience didn't have utility costs, electricity, or, or gas, or anything like that, or propane. They didn't have those things. I, I stop and I think about our automobile, and the, the, not only the taxes and the place that we pay up, but the repair costs and the gas that goes through the muffler, and on top of that, the technology and the education expenses that we have and entertainment expenses. Uh, just a real quick story from our time on the mission field. When we were working in Mozambique, we worked with a team of missionaries, and we were the least supported missionary uh, with our team as far, as far as it comes to financial support. So among our peers, we would have been the poorest, if you want to look at it that way. Um, and 
but yet we were working with a group of people who were closer to Jesus' audience than what they were to our culture, and many of them lived off of less than $1,000 a year. I paid more than that in our automobile insurance for one year. When we would talk about poverty, but they couldn't understand the expenses that the missionaries had because they didn't have insurance on it. They didn't have utilities in their houses. They lived in my house. All of the expenses that we incurred, the vehicle we drove out to, the gas and everything, that they couldn't, they couldn't relate to us at all. And so I'm stopping and I think about all of those expenses. I had 25 times the income of, of many of those Mozambicans. But yet, from Western standards, it was poor, but yet from their standards, it was incredibly wealthy. And so I think about the, just the difference, and, and doesn't it make this teaching a little bit irrelevant for us? And, and the answer in my notes is capital N-O. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I, I, again, stop and think about Jesus' audience. Um, just because they didn't have those expenses doesn't mean that they had the money that would have gone to those expenses sitting around wondering, what am I going to do with it? You know, I don't have life insurance. What am I going to do with the money I have for life? It didn't, there's, they lived a much simpler life. But here's the situation in their life. The cost of living was everything they had. They were, matter of fact, very poor people. And they spent all of their funds just to exist. And so in some cases, um, we are in a better situation. And I think the teaching is even more relevant for us today to do it. It's going to be easier for us than Jesus' original audience, even though the amount that we spend is much, much greater than what they need. Um, they can get by perhaps without cash. In our world today, we couldn't, but still in the end, uh, it just becomes down. There's nothing different in the situation that's going to change the teaching. So the third question that I really want to deal with is if the teaching is still relevant, then I need to be treasuring up treasure in heaven rather than treasure, in, uh, treasure on earth. Um, question I, I had is how can I obey that? And let me start out when I get to this section and say this, and I want to make sure you understand what Jesus wasn't saying. And I want to make sure, because we don't want to be unrealistic. I know he told the rich young ruler to sell everything he has. That was a unique case that was not a teaching for all Christians. Okay? Um, there was something in that man's heart that that's what he needed to do. But for um, uh, what he doesn't expect, is that all Christians are going to sell everything that they have and be without anything and give that money to the poor. That's not what he's teaching. You can see that very clearly in the New Testament with the instructions on handling wealth. People had things. What he is trying to do is work on generosity with what we have. Um, and I think that's very important. The second thing that we need to remember is God knows that we need if you are the term, we need that we need treasure. We need funds. He knows that we need that. Um, just as his original audience did. Let's follow along a little bit. Let's go back to the Matthew passage and let's pick it up in verse 25. Um, and uh, I'm not going to be reading it all, but I'm going to be just somewhat summarizing uh, verses 25 through 32. 
the emphasis is really on here not to worry. Okay? Don't worry. I, I know you don't have, but don't focus so much on getting that you aren't generous with others who are in worse situation than what you are. Um, I, I can't help but think Jesus focuses here on, on clothing and he focuses on food. Uh, and those are the only two things he focuses on. I couldn't help but think if he was here today, that list might be a little bit bigger. If he was talking to us in our culture, uh, it might be a little bit bigger. But when we get to verse 32, Jesus adds a statement. He says, your heavenly father knows that you need these things. He knows it. But there's this word of caution that goes along with that statement. When he's talking about this, he says, but, and this should guide our thoughts, and that's what we're really looking at today, is come up with a, a way to approach, sort of up here, an attitude to approach. He says, the pagans run after these things. His point is that they're worrying so much that they're living to acquire this, or store up these things for themselves. And the idea is, um, if that's the attitude that you have, is there's never enough. And what it does is it just exhibits a complete lack of trust in God to be able to provide for our needs. Uh, when we adopt the attitude of those that Jesus identifies as pagans here, um, those who live trying to store up a storehouse for themselves, really our heart is still on earth because that's where our treasure is. And so, again, the question is, how can we obey Jesus' question, or uh, our teaching, and uh, or how can we store up a storehouse in heaven? And he told his audience, going all the way back down to the bottom of this uh, section, he says for them, he says, they're to seek his kingdom first. And I know we use that phrase in a lot of different ways. We even sing songs. How many of you think he's talking about generosity when you sing that song? When we sing that song, we're probably talking about all of the things that are a part of God's righteousness and we're seeking all of those. And that's a good way to do that. But in the context of this teaching, when he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, what he's talking about is sort of engage in this idea of generosity. Now, there's a, a term, uh, a couple different terms we use in our, in our culture today. Financial planning might be one of them. Uh, stewardship is the word that I was actually thinking of. We don't talk much about stewardship in our, in our culture today. It's just sort of changed a little bit. If you go back maybe a, a century, it would be big. Uh, a steward. A steward is somebody who takes care of things. Takes care of a steward of a house, for example, or a steward of a certain property is somebody who takes care of things, but the key is they're taking care of not their own things, but the things that belong to somebody else. And so we use that example, or we use that word within Christian circles, and I think it's a very valuable term. Uh, steward, or just stewardship, taking care of somebody else's goods. And I think that's the attitude that we need to adopt if we're going to be um, really treasuring up treasure in heaven. We need to see ourselves as stewards. Or if you will, in our financial planning, we need to grasp this attitude that what I have isn't mine, 
I'm taking care of it for the one that it belongs to. I'm taking care of it for God. Um, I, I think that I, I stop and I think about this that God knows that I need some of those funds to take care of my expenses. But He also knows that I don't need all of them, and some other people do need some of that. And I have the responsibility uh, to share. Um, I, I just have, there's a part of it that goes along with being a good steward where I'm not the one that, you know, the sex are like, okay, I'm entrusted to take care of it. But I'm not the main person. There's a little bit of humility when we're taking care of it. There's a little bit of compassion when we take care of it. There's a little bit of kindness when we take care of it. That those have to be a part of just who we are as we're managing God's funds. I, I got an illustration. Jesus always seems to get such lovely illustrations and they work so well. I sort of missed the mark. But when I was thinking about this idea of being a steward, being trusted, I couldn't help again go back to my childhood. And there would be us four kids sitting at the table. And I, I, I imagine you know, my mom coming out to me and saying, Scott, um, here, I made this cake for dinner. And I want you to divide it up for everybody. Suddenly, I'm the steward of the cake. And I wonder how my siblings and my father and mother would have responded if I said, okay, I'll just keep it. <laughs> I think there would have been some objection. I mean, that would have been wrong, right? And I think, what if I would have said, okay, I'm going to go ahead and share it, but here's the way we're going to do it. I'm going to do one for you and one for me and one for you and one for me one for you and one. And, and again, there would have been some problem with that from the one who had trusted me. And, and I'm not saying that there's some sort of key percentages that we have to follow that's not what I'm, I'm saying. Instead, what I'm saying is we need to adopt the attitude that I have been entrusted as a steward of the things here on earth. Some of those things we need. But a part of being that steward is sharing, even if we're still in need, with those people who have a greater need. I think when, when Jesus spoke these words, he wasn't establishing a benchmark. Give away 10% years ago. He wasn't doing that. Again, what he's talking about is the attitude that is within our heart. Our others in our heart. Remember the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. And that ultimately is going to even upset and the things that we're doing with the goods that we handle as we go through this life. We're all going to be handling financial resources. Are other people involved in the way that we handle them? The things that we've been trusted. I was I saw this on the end of this phrase. I saw it the other day and I said that's such an important attitude to take. Says that Christians are called are pardon me, says Christians are called to contribute, not to accumulate. Christians are called to contribute, not to accumulate. And I think that's such a powerful message. Like I said, it was speaking to me, and it's what I needed to hear. And if it's something that helped you in your decision-making, I'll just give praise to the Lord for that. Let's, let's go to the Lord and give some thanks. Father, we are so grateful for the free gift of salvation we have received. 
Father, you have redeemed us from a way of life that was a losing proposition for us. You put us on a road to eternal life. Father, I just pray that as we live out this new life that we have, that we would be obedient to all of your teachings. That it wouldn't just be about uh, looking good and sounding good, but it would really be about living in obedience to the things that you taught. And here we have a very simple For Jesus said, the things that we're dealing with, the finances of this world, they're not all for you. They're God's, and we are responsible to use them in a way that's pleasing to you. And that includes helping others who are needy. Our Father, I, I can't help but think of this as we get close to a Thanksgiving time. Later on this month, we'll be celebrating, hopefully, Thanksgiving. And I always say this, but a part of Thanksgiving.